Welcome to the Motherhood Village Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gonzalez-Cumberbatch, and I know firsthand that it takes a village to raise a child, but most importantly, that it takes a village to uplift a mother. A mother's village is necessary and can take up many forms. Consider this podcast as part of your motherhood village. No matter the season of motherhood you're in, every conversation will give you more tools to add to your parenting toolbox, and you'll feel supported, inspired, and uplifted. So let's get into an informative and empowering conversation. Hello, and welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Cumberbatch. I have a very special guest. I have Mrs. Anita Carbanda, who is an Indian American engineer by trade and a storyteller by heart. She lives in North Texas with her loving husband and two sons and an avid lifelong reader of all kinds of fiction. She revels in seeing her children do the same. Yali Books published her debut young adult novel, Lioness of Punjab, on September 17, 2022. The story is told from the perspective of Mai Bago, the first female Sikh warrior. Anita, how are you today? I am doing very well. Thank you, Nicole. How are you? I'm great. Let's, before we dive into the main conversation, um, tell me what is your favorite book or one that you would like to recommend? Uh, one of my favorite books is Palace of Illusions by Chitra Banerjee Diva Karuni. It uh, was actually a great inspiration for my book, Lioness of Punjab, and I highly recommend it. Awesome. How has motherhood transformed you? When I think of motherhood, there's a quote that comes to mind. When a child is born, there are two births, that of the child and that of the mother. Essentially, I was reborn when I had my children. Yeah, you and me both. I think um, that actually talks, a, a lot of my guests on my show have said that. And um, there is something, you become reborn. And I think for some, including myself, it took a while for me to realize that because I, I had a lot of like career identity and wait, what's, what's going on. Um, and now that my son is, he'll be five and a half. Um, I think I'm like, oh, I see it. I understand it and, you know, and, and all the things. So that's, that's powerful. It takes a village to raise a child, but I also say it takes a village to uplift a mother. Who and what has been a part of your village? Uh, definitely my husband and children, family on both sides, uh, friends, you know, mentors, coworkers, colleagues, other writing friends. Awesome. Okay, so now let's get into storytelling. What was the inspiration in creating and writing Linus Punjab? I know you mentioned the book prior before, but what really decide what made you decide to write a novel? Well, it I essentially started with my family. So I had started off writing a memoir uh, based on letters between two family members, which I decided not to publish, but it sparked an interest in writing. And then I saw uh, a book on my shelf. It was my mother's book and it had a Sikh female warrior on the cover. It wasn't about my Bago and it was written entirely in Punjabi, which is difficult for me to read, but it made me remember my Bago and it inspired me to write a story about her. And what is your, explain to those who don't know what your Bago is. What my Bago is? Sure. Yes. So my Bago is the first female Sikh warrior. And my book, Lioness of Punjab, is based on her life. Now, it's young adult historical fiction. So it is not an entirely true account. But I included the history that was available about her and filled in the blanks in a way that seemed fitting to her character. 
And why did you feel it was important to write about her? Of all the things possibly that you could have written about, what, um, I guess, inspired you to write particularly about her? You know, the long and short of it is I always wanted to read a story about her and there simply wasn't one. Even in the nonfiction references about her, there's about three paragraphs about her whole life. And yet she's revered as the first female Sikh warrior. And those three paragraphs basically say she rallied 40 men back to battle who had deserted the 10th guru of Sikhism. Um, and, you know, just the fact that she was so monumental and there was no lengthy story about her made me think, you know, there really needs to be. So sure. I, I wanted to read it. So I wrote it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I think they say that they're like, write it, you write the book that you always wanted to read. Um, but I think there are a lot of things in history when going back where, you know, like you said, the first female Sikh warrior, that like, that's something big, but yet there's not a lot of information about her. Um, so my next question with that is with the story, how do you hope to impact your community? Particularly, I mean, you said you're Indian American, like what, what, um, What's the what's the power in that? What 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 do you hope to do with this with this novel, especially making it young adult um, non um, young adult fiction? Sure. So, you know, there are a few stories about the Sikh diaspora published in America, but there is a longing for them. <clears throat> My community's cultural stories are necessary to understand where we came from and to help, especially teens, feel seen in literature. Um, I also wanted to educate people outside of the culture about Sikhism. You know, these stories help educate a wide array of people. And finally, what I really hoped, and this is the larger overarching theme, is that she'd inspire hope in a time when I've seen many people frightened by civic unrest. And a young adult. Um, well, first off, let me ask, how old are your children? Sure. So they are there. I have a 10 year old and an eight year old. Okay. And they're they are not quite young adults, although they do read some young adult fiction. But it's truly it's because I needed a story like this when I was a teen. You know, and and I, I, I know that there are others like me out there who needed this. So I wrote it for them. That's awesome. And a young adult reading this, or even when um, you said you have two sons, right? Yes. Um, when they get the opportunity to do so, what are the takeaways? What do you hope someone reading this will take from it? And even though it is a young adult um, novel, can adults read it? And is it really, you know, it's a young adult, but anyone can read it. Correct. So you're absolutely right. Anyone can read it. Uh, you know, I say actually from middle grade up to adult, and they can appreciate and learn from it. Uh, you know, so the overarching themes are to fight for your beliefs, no matter what, and to treasure your family, community, and faith. Oh, I love that. And pivoting to being a mom, I would imagine, um, well, not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I won't say I would imagine, I'll ask you. So um, what are some of the values you hope to instill with your two sons? And as they grow up, I mean, 10 and 8, double digits, I always say, you know, I have such respect for parents of multiples, parents with older children, my little guy will be six. Um, and I'm like, oh, he's going to kindergarten. And it's it's a lot, right? There's a lot. There's It's a big world out there. There's so many things. Um, how, you know, what are the values that you hope to instill in your, in your boys? And 
is there a correlation between writing the story and, and all the things? Yes. And, you know, yeah. So I, and this will be a very simple statement, but I want them to be good people. Um, and, you know, relating more to the story and writing it, I wanted my boys to see me pouring myself into something I'm passionate about so that when they get older, they will do the same. Sure. You know, also the overarching themes that I just mentioned of bravery and family and community and faith. When they read this story, I hope that it reiterates the importance of those aspects of their life. I love that. And um, I know a few people that have written books, mainly memoirs or on the way of writing their memoir. So this is a novel and I know it can be a big undertaking. How did you, um, I, I know the word balance gets such a bad rap and you know, some people say there's, <laughs> some people say there's no such thing and all the things, but how did you juggle? Sure. It's more of like a juggle. You're trying to not let it, you know, anything fall to the ground. Yeah. How did you juggle oh, motherhood, yeah. your marriage, your career? Cause you still have a career, correct? I do. Yes. Yes, I do. How do you juggle all of that? Or how did you, from the time you said, I want to write this book, and then you start writing it, and then to kind of get it published? Talk to me about that process. Sure, absolutely. So to be completely honest, this work has been in progress since 2017. My kids were quite a bit younger then, so they were both asleep by about eight o'clock, and then I'd write from eight to ten. So now we're we're sort of going to bed at closer to the same time. So I either wake up early in the morning or I find my pockets. You know, there are times right. they are reading or playing on their own on the weekends. And those are my opportunity, you know, or in the evening, if I'm taking one to a soccer practice, computer comes right along with me while they're practicing and I'm typing and working. So you find those pockets. I'm sure you know that as a mother too. Yeah. And I think it's so important to say that. I like that you said that, like you find the opportunity because I think a lot of times in motherhood, I run um, two about to be three evening support groups for moms. And a lot of the recurring themes that come up are the times, right? Feeling the guilt and how do we do this and how, and I think uh, the revelation kind of came to me not so long ago. I'm like, I think you just, to your point, you just find the opportunity and I try not to have the guilt with it because I, I don't want to say make it up to him, but I do, you know, like in different ways. So last week, Tuesday, just to give an example, and I'm sure you can attest, um, I was slammed from morning to night um, meetings and just all the things. And I, I think I had, I went to the gym. I finally um, embraced going to the gym early in the morning. Cause to your point, I can't wait at night because then things get yeah. hectic. So um, I get up four 30 and I'm at the, um, my trainer's house for 5.00 AM. Wow. So I had been at the house from like seven o'clock in the morning, as far as like starting my day, and then did not come back home till late at night, I had a presentation to do, I had a support group, and I didn't really see him. But then I cleared my calendar for that Wednesday, the next day, I was able to clear my calendar, right? I try and find that because um, mm -hmm. yep. you just find the pockets. And I think he appreciates that of saying like, look, mom's trying. Um, and he might cry at that moment and he'll say, why do you have to do this or that? And I say, listen, I, I promise you within whatever that time frame is, we'll spend time together. Um, so I like how you said finding the opportunity. So anyone listening, just try and find the opportunity. And it's not always going to look like what you think it's going to look like, nor does it have to be a grand gesture of spending time with your kids, right? Yes. Yes. There's not always going to be a, a candle and, and tea and, you know, this perfect setting and a throw, you know, sometimes it's just on the soccer field typing up or, you know, 4.30 a.m. wake-ups to your point to get to the gym and do all the things. 
So yeah, yeah, we have to get I think motherhood has taught me to get creative. That's one of the biggest things is like you, you just get creative, get creative with dinner, get creative with spending time with date nights with your husband, right? I know, for me, um, and again, another thing that comes up a lot is people say comparing, well, this one, you know, you think you have to go on a big trip, where for us, sometimes we'll just say, look, we just need like a date night or a dinner. Um, mm-hmm. And I can kind of recognize when I'm like, oh, my husband and I need some time together, right? We just, I'm like, oh, we feel like we're two passing ships. And I'm like, no, we need to kind of get grounded. Um, and then there are times where, yeah, it might call if we're able to, to go on maybe a trip or a weekend away, you know, because thankfully we do have the grandparents. Um, mm-hmm. But I just think to your point, you just find those those little pockets of time and you, you do what you can with what you have. Yes. You know, yes. Um, Why is it important for your children? Um, When I read your bio, um, I also have a very big love for reading, always have, and um, hope my son does as well. But why is it important to you for your children to also kind of have that same love for reading and for storytelling? What do you feel is so important about having that? Well, there's a couple of things. So stories were always a special haven for me growing up. I could be whisked off to another time and place and revel in the joy. So I want them to have the opportunity to experience that joy, just sitting in the comfort of their home. And storytelling uh, in our culture, it's very common for parents to tell stories either about the religion or about the culture. And there's usually some sort of life lesson in that. And I still think of some of the stories like that, that my mom told me in childhood and you know the sound guidance that they provided. And it, and, and it still guides me in life. And I've shared those stories with my children so that one day when they need it, they can you know pull that out of their memory or their mind, and it can give them that guidance they need. Sure. And do you think, um, and I know this is, this is not your expertise, but you do, you are a mom of two and, and reading is something that is important to you. How, how have you introduced it to where they, they can read on their own? Cause I know again, moms will say, Oh, well, I want my kid to read or same thing with me. I want my son to love to read, but then I have to show him that I'm reading, right? I have to introduce him to stories. I have to be the person to model it. So why don't you talk to anyone listening to any of the moms listening? What are some tips and strategies to kind of get your kids more into storytelling, reading and all those things? Well, I think reading to them from a very young age is key, especially before they can read. And then once they are of the reading age, you know, starting out with picture books to chapter books and so on, there should be evening reading. You know, luckily, a lot of schools encourage that homework, 20 minutes of reading a night. And so we've really, you know, and my husband and I both, we've really been diligent about that evening quiet time where the kids read for about 20 to 30 minutes. And we say, you know, it's proper book reading time. So no graphic novels, no, you know, get something with substance and it's just become a part of their routine. They enjoy it. I already see the love of reading in my older one and my younger one too, although he has more specific taste. So it's just reading to them every night before they can read. And then when they can read, having that quiet time. I I really do think just before bedtime is the right time. I agree, same. Um, And are there certain like novels that they're into now or certain books that they like? 
Yeah, yep. So my uh, younger one likes the I Survived and the Who Was. So he's my big nonfiction and historical fiction kiddo. The older one likes realistic fiction. So he finished up the whole Spy School series. He's now on to, gosh, of course, I'm going to forget the name now. I want to say the 39 series. It's written by a multitude of authors. And there's five series with like seven books in each series. And what's great with him is that now my 10-year-old, now that he's in fifth grade, is he's getting recommendations from friends you know, friends that read similar to him. And, and that's how he's finding the books that he wants to read. Now I'm finding that I have to do less and less research because he is now a reader and he has friends who are readers and they're all sharing suggestions. So, and, and that's what I'm hoping for. Um, again, he's only five, but um, yes. we had went to and Noble. He, he wanted, yeah, 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 he had one and he went straight for the Legos. And I was like, Hey buddy, look, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, they have this like great site. And it was like a Miles Morales superhero. And he was like, I want the Legos. And I had to remind myself, I'm like, look, Legos, are, come. Good. Yeah. Legos are good too. But, you know, I have to, again, um, be more diligent of me not putting the ownership on him, but me saying, hey, we're going to have reading time right now. We're going to do this right now. And making sure that um, a lot of times I'll do my reading when he falls asleep, but making sure I'm doing it even before he falls asleep so he can see me reading yeah. and not on my cell phone during the day. <laughs> Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really good advice. Very good advice. What are some of the lessons in that? Well, I know we kind of talked about you hope your children gain from your work. Um, but to go a little deeper than that, are there any other, because I know you said you want them to see that like you've written a novel, you, you work hard, is there plans for a part two? Um, you know, do they have aspirations to be a writer? Like, what does that look like in your in your home? So, so yeah, so they, they do have aspirations to be a writer. So right now, you know, they're still pretty young. So sometimes it's, oh, I want to be an engineer because daddy's an engineer and, and that's, and mommy studied engineering. And then some days it's, well, I want to be a writer. So it does change day to day, but, um, you know, that both of those professions have been thrown around, engineering and writing. My older one did actually publish uh, a piece in a book called I Am Texas. Uh, it was called Dallas or Dallas. And the I Am Texas book won the Guinness Book of World Records yeah. for the biggest book in, in the world. And it's humongous. It was sitting in the Bryan Museum. They moved it recently to somewhere else in Houston, but um, it's neat. And, you know, and then he got a copy of it and he saw his work in a published book. And now the younger one wants to do it as well. So, you know, we, I don't expect my children to be me. I expect right. them to be them. Um, yeah. And so whatever that looks like is what it looks like. And they will be encouraged. I love that. Yeah, no, that's so important. Same. Um, and do you have plans for a part two? Or like, what do you have plans to write something else? Yes. Yeah, good question. So, so it's not, I have written another book. It's very different. So this one is adult women's fiction. Uh, it's set in the present day. There is still a South Asian female at the center of it. And yeah currently sitting with my literary agent so that she needs some time to read it and then share, you know, feedback. And then hopefully we'll start submitting to publishers, but you know, this is all, it's a very long process. And so I don't, you know, I don't know when or, or, or sure. yet, but it's in the works and I'm super excited about it. Uh, just like I was about Lioness of Punjab. Love it. And 
what advice or tips could you give to someone who's thinking of writing their first book? Um, and is there a difference between the novels, the memoirs? I, I know you said try and take the opportunities when they come, especially for busy moms out there. Um, but any advice or tips? I know some people decide to be self-published. Some decide to go this route. Like what made you have a publisher? Like I guess talk a little bit specifics about your um, journey into that aspect of it and then any um, tips or suggestions you would give. Sure. So I do think that, you know, nonfiction and fiction writing are different. I don't have too much experience on the nonfiction side, but, you know, my understanding is that when you pitch to literary agents and you're writing nonfiction, you have to do a book proposal versus when it's fiction, you write a query letter. Um, So, you know, there's, there's differences in that way. You know, the, the advice I would give is patience and persistence. The world of publishing is very, very slow, but it can also be incredibly rewarding. My my childhood best friend that I've known since seventh grade uh, said to me once, uh, it only takes one. You know, it only takes one literary agent to believe in your work and sign with you. It only takes one publisher to believe in your work and publish your book, you know, and And that's what I chose to do. Now, the reason I chose to do that is because I was not interested in the business side. I did not want to have to figure out how to find, uh, you know, my own cover artist or format it, you know, myself for an ebook or to do the marketing. You know, I, I wanted support on that so that I could focus on the writing. Now, some people prefer not only creative control, but business control. And I think in that way, self-publishing might work for those folks. But for me, I just wanted to do the writing and let other folks worry about the other stuff. (laughs) No, it makes sense. And, you know, if you're able to, you have the time or whatever. But yeah, I mean, if that was something that you love to do that, you're like, yeah, I have the vision for, you know, the book cover art or whatever that looks like for sure. It makes sense. Um, So going back to juggling, what are some of the ways that you release, reset and recharge? Sure. What makes you feel you're at your best? What are the things, some of the things that you do? Yes. So, you know, I, a good night of rest is very important to me. I actually don't drink a lot of alcohol. I don't like it. I find myself sluggish. If I do, I meditate, I exercise at least three times a week. I try to go for a walk on the days that I can't, um, three cups of chai, a piece of dark chocolate a day, and lots of cuddles with my husband and kids. Um, how can people connect with you? How can people purchase your novel? Um, of course, it'll go in the show notes, but you know, speak here how they can connect and purchase the book. Sure. So my website is anitacarbonda.com. I'm also on Instagram at anita underscore carbonda underscore 78. Lioness of Punjab can be purchased at all major retails online, retailers online, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. If you want to support independent bookstores, it's on Bookshop. Um, but reach out, follow me, email me. There's information on my website. I'd love to hear from you. And I I wish, you know, I wish them all the luck in the world. Awesome. Any final thoughts to the podcast community as we um, wind down here? Well, uh, you know, thank you for listening. Um, And I hope that my journey through motherhood, uh, you know, was relatable or familiar to you and maybe provided some guidance. And Nicole, to you, thank you for the privilege of providing me a space on your, you know, highly applauded and notable podcast. 
Thank you so much, Anita. Um, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I will definitely check out your novel um, and continued blessings to you for love and light. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this impactful episode of the Motherhood Village podcast. Subscribe to my show so you'll never miss a future episode. You may also rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone that can use it as part of their Motherhood Village. Remember, your village can take up many forms and you do not have to do it alone. Connect with me at themotherhoodvillage.com. Blessings to you for love and light.